podcast number two and uh we're just going to get right back into it i know last time we kind of talked about the the start of a gogi and and we covered a lot of stuff but one one guy and one thing we didn't cover robert allen white so uh robert white Uh, yeah let's talk about robert he was you know he's been in and out for throughout the years he's a big part of a gogi and you know there's some pretty fun stories that we just didn't have time for so let's get into he uh you know, a lot of people, he, he's been really active in the gym the last couple of years, but for a long time, he was a silent partner that nobody knew about. Yeah. Um, really responsible for us being where we're at, too, in, in so many ways. Uh, so, Robert and I, man, I've known him since he was a kid. We grew up in the same hood. Um, and we're going to get Robert in here one day just to have a I guess Yeah, we'll a do a Robert episode, episode for sure. with him because um, he's funny and now that he's a very successful businessman, it's just neat hearing him talk about how, you know, poor we were as kids in the hood that we, we grew up in. Um, so I, I met him. I was a police officer, and his grandmother actually worked for the police department, and she was our court clerk, and Robert would ride the school bus there to the police department after school and get off and come in, and you know, he was 14 or 15 years old, hanging out with all the officers, and that's kind of how I got to know him. And... Uh, I mean, I wasn't a whole lot older than him. I think I was like 21, just yeah. started my career. Um, so anyways, we, you know, friends with his with his family, with his grandmother, grandfather, and uh, just got to know Robert through that and kind of lost contact with him for a while after he graduated high school. And then he showed back up, um, and we were ended up going to the same church together. And it was a whole other funny story there. Uh, both of us are practical jokers. We... Um, Kind of took it a little too far sometimes at church. Um, yeah, I know y'all were former choir boys or altar, altar boys. I call it altar boys. Yeah. I, I guess the correct term was ushers, but ushers. We, we got fired for messing around, uh, uh, just you know, not taking the job very seriously. But anyways, uh, Robert and I we um, uh, started going out. Hold um, on, was he your Sunday school? Your did you guys do vacation? Bible we school we together? did. That's a that's you got to tell. That. All right, I got to tell the story. Um, so we were going to this little church. First of all, what kind of church was you and Robert White teach do kids vacation Bible school? Uh, that they is were, a they desperate, were desperate. That's a desperate. It's a very yeah. It was, it was in the hood. They were desperate. We were there. Questionable. We, we had a pulse. So uh, yeah. So anyways, uh, his grandparents were just really good folks, and they were involved in the church, and that's how Robert got involved in it, and uh, and I. Begrudgingly started going initially. Um, so my ex-wife, you know, went there and I, I started going. And it was met, met Robert. It was kind of a cool vibe. Um, yeah, we get, I mean, we're like mid-20s. I'm mid-20s. Robert's maybe late teens, early 20s. And Robert's brother used to be a professional wrestler. I think he wrestled for the WWE at one point. Yeah, he's a... Uh... Basically, he was a, a jobber, but yeah. wrestled for WCW. Right. 
Yeah. So um, Robert and I get asked to do this uh, preteen boys uh, vacation Bible school class. Uh, I wasn't very enthused about it, but uh, we decided to give it a go. We were going to have fun with them. So we really just took them in a room and wrestled around with them. And uh, uh, anyways, they we didn't know that every class had to have like a project. And, and we for sure didn't know that you had to like the last night of this Bible school come into the church and auditorium and stand up on the stage with your class and show your project off. Or, or we'd have took it a little bit more serious. But uh, so we thought, crap, we'll just do some T-shirts with them. And we let them paint it up. And we'd been doing wrestling moves with them the whole week. And Robert loved professional wrestling because of his brother. And uh, so the kids basically did a WWE or whatever it was uh, yeah. themed T-shirt. And uh, so we got up on the stage. And I wasn't <laughs> paying did. attention. I wasn't paying attention. The first kid that gets up there, you know, is this freckledy-faced, redheaded, chubby kid. And I look, happened to look down as we're walking up there in his shirt. The front of it said Austin 316. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, crap, we're probably going to get in trouble. Yeah, they, they politely, like, ask us to not do anything anymore. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know if uh, we need to quote the Bible verse that y'all learned on that week. but Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we our heart was Austin in the right 316. spot. Yeah, Austin 316. And, and honestly, I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I had to look it up. I'm like, oh, crap, that, that's <laughs> terrible for a, you know, 10-year-old kid. Uh, so anyways, yeah, Robert and I, after meeting there, reconnecting there at church, um, I was training judo in Chattanooga at the time with you and had like a, I think I had like a little crappy 12 by 12 mat that I had at one of the rec centers. And this was way before, you know, you and I met and, uh, Robert took an interest in jujitsu and there again, I'm thinking number one, he needs it. Cause you know, Robert was not a, a big guy. He's not a big guy. He's not. Very athletic, and the only sport he had ever played, to my knowledge, was golf, if you consider that a sport. I mean, I, I know it's a, you know, you got to be good and patience and it's a skill, game. For sure. it's, it's a skill, but uh, not a contact sport, let's just say that. So, uh, yeah, Robert decides to come train with me, and, and you know, basically we used him as a throw-in dummy. Um, <laughs> he didn't have a gi, and literally I, I think I gave him an old field jacket that I had left over from the Marines and just something thick I could grab a hold of and judo throw him around. And uh, we started out the rec center. He locked it. He started coming up to choose with me. And, you know, we, we would work more the ground game on the side and, and the little mat that I had on the little mat. And then he would come to choose and, and learn some judo. And um, I use him as an illustration. He was for, – for years I used him as an illustration of, of like how powerful jiu-jitsu is, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, and the story that I tell on that is uh, there was a guy from Lafayette at the time that that uh, was like legendarily known to be a tough guy. Um, I'm not going to mention his name. The guy's deceased now, but he was a tough guy, uh, and he was somewhat of a bully. He um, definitely um, beat a lot of people up, had a lot of street fights. He was like a two- or three-time state champion in wrestling, uh, just kind of lost his way in life. I think he was a good guy, just, yeah. you know, just got off got off the path. And uh, he grew up in the same hood that Robert and I grew up in. So Robert, he was around Robert's age, and he uh, found out Robert was training jujitsu. So he was kind of giving Robert a hard time about it. And and Robert, you know, said, "Hey, he wants to come to class." I was like, "Okay, yeah, sure, bring him in there." You know, it's great for everybody. It's great for those that are weak, and it's great for those that think they're strong and they're bullies because it, you know, we all learn the same lessons. Yeah. Um, so he shows up. 
and Robert's scared to death. I mean, he's telling me, he's like, man, I don't, I don't know. Um, kind of nervous about going with him. I said, you're going to do fine. He'd trained with me for about six months now. Very basic curriculum at this point. So Robert goes with him, and within just about a minute, he gets uh, he gets the guy in a triangle choke and chokes him pretty much unconscious. And the guy gets his wits about him, wakes up, starts punching the mat. He's really pissed that Robert tapped him. And yeah. Robert's looking at me. I could see the fear in his eyes. He's like, oh, this guy's going to kill me. You know, He's going to beat me up. I'm like, no, 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 you're, you're fine. Go, go again. So the guy's demanding a rematch. So Robert goes again, gets him in the arm bar. This goes on like three times. Robert taps him like three times. And I'm talking about a very athletic state champion wrestler, had 50 pounds on Robert, um, legendarily a tough guy, you know, amongst Robert's peers. And uh, I think Robert was shocked that he beat him. That yeah. guy was definitely shocked. And um, he's one of those guys that um, um, he, he learned, you know, Jiu-Jitsu, they, they talk about leaving your ego at the door and keeping it in check. Um, that's harder for guys that are naturally talented and strong and maybe has like a wrestling or fighting background um, because it's humbling for them. And in the case with Robert and this guy, you know, it, you can give me a guy like – we got a guy now that trains with us as a blue belt, and he was a classical musician, never played a sport, and he's a tough guy. Yeah, he came in, got his butt kicked, realized, man, I got to learn this art, and he was humble, and he he went after it, and he's he's a tough blue belt now. Um, it's harder for guys that are very talented, um, that have played football or wrestled or whatever, and they're big, strong guys. They come in to a jujitsu gym for the first time, and it's very humbling for them because they're used to being strong and winning. And then when they lose and, and lose from everybody pretty much that they go with, it's, it's like cognitive dissonance for them, their whole belief system that, it, that it just shatters. So, like the guy that we got, this, uh, you know, we got a blue belt now, that's, um, he, he's a great illustration of that too. Uh, he was a classical musician, um, very talented, uh, never played a sport in his life, came in off the street, Started doing jujitsu. He's been with us for about four years now, three years. Got his blue belt, and he is a tough, tough guy. And I love using guys like that when you when you and have. We're talking about Ethan. Ethan, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think of Dakota. You know, I thought that's who we were talking Dakota's about. Dakota's who <laughs> yeah. I always think of because, you know, it really was one of my favorite promotions. Oh yeah, uh, and ever giving him his blue because I was like, hey, there's guys that come in this room, and you just know they're going to be part of the family. You know, they're going to be with you forever. Dakota was not that guy. Dakota <laughs> no. was the guy that we thought was going to run out of there the first week. Oh, yeah. Dakota's and he's a great, still there grinding. Great. He's, he's one of the toughest dudes in the room. Tough, yeah. tough. He is tough. And, and Ethan's thing, tough. And, and people like that, they're, they're great regulators. Like, mm -hmm. you don't want your big, strong guy that's a massive athlete that's, you know, muscle-bound to, you know, to regulate because then when people come in off the street that are – you know, cocky and street fighters or wrestlers, they're like, well, he just beat me because he's bigger than me or stronger than me. Like, That's you want a chance. Yeah, you want a little guy that is really good at jujitsu so that the art of jujitsu shines and they can see the power that's in it. Um, and I'm getting back to Robert. That's that's what happened that day um, when this guy came in. The guy just couldn't believe it. And his ego couldn't handle it. He never came back. Um, on a side note, uh, unfortunately, a few years later, he, he – he was killed by a guy. He was, you know, got into an altercation, and was shot and killed. And that's what happens a lot of times when you when you're, you know, getting into beasts on the street, and you know, you you 
try to bully and intimidate people. I mean, it doesn't end well. But it, um, I've always thought it's kind of funny that people, everybody comes in and gets that ego check mm-hmm. off the bat in jiu-jitsu. But er, you have two paths. Everybody says, I never want to experience that again. And then they either go away and ignore it and act like it doesn't exist, or they're in there every day like, I have to learn this because I don't ever oh, want that to happen to me. That, that's the way I was. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't a big guy. I mean, when I, when I got out of the Marines, it, you know, when I first started policing, I weighed my badge number. My badge number was 155. And, I mean, I with my gear on, I weighed 155. Um, so, small guy. And, and back then, man, I mean, even policing was different. We fought about every shift. Now nobody fights anymore. They well, just want to shoot And we you talk about that all the time. That's the biggest thing we got to get back is police getting comfortable putting their hands oh, on people. For sure. We we literally fought every shift. I mean, I when I started policing, um, you know, you had your weapon, your extra mags of ammo, and handcuffs, and that was pretty much it. They'd give you a nightstick, and it's like, go, go get them. Yeah. And uh, we did hands-on all the time, and we had less complaints – a lot less people getting shot. And a lot uh, more respect. A lot more respect from people because even the bad guys, like, it was almost like an unwritten rule with them, like, hey, you know, I'll go to jail, but you're going to have to put those cuffs on me. But once you get them on, like, I'll, I'm comply, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's – I saw that when I first started police. I thought, man, I have got to have – I'm at a disadvantage of size here. Um, but then the, the Marines did a really good job of brainwashing. You know, we call it our war paint. You know, when you – you're a Marine, especially when you get home from basic training, man, you think you're invincible. Yeah. Um, and then you get into a few altercations, you're like, wow, I just got my ass kicked. So when I first started uh, getting back into training, I'd had some training in the Marines uh, before I went, like with childhood martial arts and stuff. So, I mean, I wasn't like, you know, green or anything, but uh, I got picked judo back up where I left off, and then I went back, and, I mean, I was taking my butt kicking. So I walked in, and even though I had years of training when I was a teenager, like I'd been gone for a while, and I was getting my butt kicked by, you know, people that had never been in the military, that wasn't a cop. You know, one guy was an accountant, you know, I had glasses on. He would just throw me all over the place. So, like Mike alluded to, it, it is a ego check. And, and it's it changes. Like, you know, we, we talk about the ego and how you got to kill it off to start your journey. But honestly, uh, I think it's, it's as important as you age and you uh, are an older competitor, older black belt, it's just as hard because, you know, you go through these cycles where you you suck, you stay with it, um, you get better, then you get good, and then maybe you're the best in, in your little gym. And then you start going downhill. And then you start going downhill. <laughs> then you get in your 40s and you're like stuff starts breaking. And Yeah. Everybody you know, thinks it's just a, an upward trajectory the whole uh, way. No. And it's not. I mean, it's you can <laughs> – yeah, you, your knowledge. Yeah, I mean, you know, plateaus you, all over the place. You can still be, you know, sharp with your knowledge, but, you know, your body changes and um, – jiu-jitsu has changed like the, the jiu-jitsu i learned initially is not anything much like what you see in a lot of schools now uh, a lot of schools are very sport oriented we got guys i mean that's that's the i think it's one of our secret sauces that you and yeah, i've I'm talked proud about that we kept up but we don't yeah. change i mean you yeah. know what i'm saying like we're us but we've kept up with the time right but we have you know five black belts and six depending on you know who's visiting or training we get we got some guys that come in and We'll spend, you know, six months or a year if they're working in Chattanooga and train with us. But so we got a good selection of, of the art. You know, like you and I have a very similar game. Pressure, very simple, fundamental base. You got Mike and Sterling, which are in the middle. They're old school and yet new school, um, you know. and Yeah, I look at it. If it's a spectrum, I mean, you're, you're as old school as it gets. 
would say Mike has a pretty traditional game wrestling wise. Like right. He sits there. Me and him are, are somewhere in that middle. I'm I'm a little different. Just I don't know why. To be honest with you, I think I'm. I think we have a similar similar style, but a, a the mechanics of getting there. All type. three of us have similar styles with different finishes. Yeah. You know, different different strengths just based on right. size. Well, and one thing Sterling's I, very new. Yeah. And I mean, he, and he's you got a, the Elijah, Sterling's a damn wizard. Elijah Carlton, and you know, even John Green that trains oh, with John's us now. John's excellent with legs. Gosh, man! I mean, I, I jokingly when I I go with those guys or see them, I was like, man, I feel like I don't even know jujitsu sometimes when I watch them go because their their skill set is so deep. Like I play such a basic game, and I, you know, I view myself as a, just being like a kind of a I don't know. I'm just a very fundamental guy. It's probably boring to watch go. I would just grind people, pressure, stay on top. Um, they can make jujitsu look really pretty. I'm not so pretty when you watch me go. Yeah, there's two types of grapplers I found. There's, and like I really believe that I think there's conceptual grapplers, guys that will understand a concept and just kind of can can work within that concept. And then there's these guys that can detail and break down technique. Sterling and John, they they go through every detail. Mm. I couldn't tell you, you know, I've had to really think about details as I've been teaching. You and me joke about this a lot, but the stuff that's hardest for me to teach is the stuff that I'm best at. Because there's so much stuff I don't, that I do that I don't realize I do until I try to show somebody. And then it doesn't work at all. And it's like, well, now that I got to break it down and figure out what I'm actually doing that's working. Well, you're getting regular class time teaching too, which is nice. Man, that, I think that changed us because. Pretty soon you run out of stuff to teach. So then you start <laughs> yeah. going, oh, i got to get but, more detail because, like, I'm out. I tell like, you. Six months are up. I'm done. And this, this is a tip I give a lot of uh, people as they start their jiu-jitsu journey um, is, like, take your gi with you or your, you know, rash guards when you travel or if you're on vacation. I, I did that ever since I started. And every year I'd go somewhere different on vacation. I would scout out, like, a school in the area. I'd bring my gi because back then it was, you know, pretty much all gi. And I would just show in, you know, show up and jump in and and be polite and respectful, train hard. But I met a guy. I was vacationing in Hilton Head pretty regularly, and uh, he was a under Pedro Sauer. He was a really big, big man. Had a school out there, and nice guy, man. Took me in, very welcoming. Um, and he actually helped me more than I was a brown belt at the time. He was like a second degree black belt, but he really helped guide me a lot and. He was very fundamentally based, and he was such a big guy. Of course, he's going to have a pressure game, top game. But uh, he told me the story because all Pedro's association is really good about they have like a yearly camp, and all the black belt instructors come to one spot. And there's hundreds of them, and they train and you know, strategize. And he, he said, he said, man, you know, every year I go out to this camp, and he said, there's a guy that's not much bigger than you. I mean, he's just a, you know, maybe 5'10", 195, 200-pound guy. And he literally beats every other black belt there. I mean, he owns the association. And nicest guy you'll meet, and all he teaches is fundamental jiu-jitsu. He teaches the white to blue belt curriculum. And that got me thinking. I thought, you know, that's that's profound because I, you know, I like this concept of KISS, you know, keeping it simple. Um, and when I started teaching fundamental jiu-jitsu here in the gi, my game, I think, got better. I mean. Well, and that's a good segue, honestly. Like, so – we moved from Rock Spring. In Rock Spring, we kind of we've always done fifty fifty, and a lot of the time we spent <laughs> it would be winter we'd do gi because right. it was cold and we wanted as much warmth as possible because usually we didn't have heat. Right. And in the summer we'd do no gi 
because it was hot and right. we didn't have air. So then we moved uh, to East Ridge. Uh, we talked a little bit about that. That's Yeah, we'll pick back up with uh, East Ridge. But that was the time we had to pick. And right. it was probably about the time of Hilton Head because that's when you said, I want to do fundamentals and I want to do gi. Right. And you got first pick, so I got what was left. And so I started teaching no gi. And now people probably, you know, now you're teaching the combatives class, but that's recent. But probably everybody thinks of you in a gi, and everybody thinks of me and in I, no gi. And I hated the gi. But for 15 years <laughs> before, I probably did more gi than him. Oh, yeah. I was a no gi guy, man. I mean, that, I put the gi back on, you know, to get my black belt. And then, I mean, in a weird kind of way, kind of fell, you know, back in love with it. Yeah. Um, and 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 when you get older, I mean, it is it's easier not on bad the body. To have a little yeah, it's it's easier on the body, uh, especially. I mean, I'm 51 now, so uh, you know, I appreciate the gi. Yeah. But yeah, we we divided up and, and conquered when we moved to East Ridge, and I ended up teaching fundamental gi and and loved it, and really have never looked back from that. Like that's where my passion's at now. I love taking you know the people off the street that know nothing. Um, and then just teaching them the fundamentals and then watching them progress past that class into advanced class and do really well. And, you know, you, you look at the base that, like, you've, you gave them the foundation. Yeah. And, um, well, I think, that. you know, we've always done well in competition. We've always done well in fights. And I think, you know, we give good fundamentals. We give good base, yeah. basics. And I think that's whether it's you or me or Mike or Sterling or anybody teaching. I think that's one thing you definitely get at a gogi. Um, well, I think one of the biggest strengths of the gym too, you know, you go a lot of other places and there's one main instructor and they may have really good people, but they all kind of are in that similar style of whatever, because everybody's right. going to have their game, you know, they're not going to be good at everything. But when you come to a gogi, there really isn't like, oh, that's the main instructor. It's like, there's no. five of us that but, teach and we teach, we, ha- our styles are completely different. Right. It, you know, Matt and I, and it, I'm, I'm like the king of analogies. So yeah, but we do talk about this. I we, know we, we talk about this a lot. Like uh, early on, we we developed uh, a mentality of like the knots of the round table mentality, um, and I see it. I mean, being in politics and working in you know with the government as long as I have, like, gosh, man, there's so many leaders. And I'm using parentheses when I say that. That's like you know I'm in charge. It's my way. I sit at the head of the table. Everybody else. I mean, I've literally have being in management meetings where the guy in charge has to sit at the end of the table yeah. to be dominant and everybody else sits around it. So early on we had this conceptual, you know, view of like, okay, we want this to kind of be ran like not to the round table. We all sit at a round table. Nobody is more important. I'm no more important than, than Mike or Mike's no more important than Matt. We all play a piece in this puzzle, you know. And I think that strategy served us well because it's kept egos out of it. It's kept us in, in check and um, that's super important because even now, I mean, jujitsu's evolved, but there's a lot of schools that's still very egotistical. Um, when you just look at how we, you know, you can either have a hundred students and one guy, mm-hmm. or you can have four or five hundred students and four or five guys. But yeah, can you hold on to that many? Mm-hmm. And you know, just like you said, lack of ego. The fact that we really don't care who gets credit, we right. really don't care. You know, at the end of the day, we decided to build on a brand and not a name. And so the brand was a gogi. I remember you picking it. We, we talked about that a little bit, but I was like, I don't care what name you pick. Pick whatever name you want. Right. You know, we are who we are. And and look, a gogi fit as well as anything we've ever done. It was meant to be. Oh, yeah. But, 
a little know, bit of a learning curve on the pronunciation, but we're getting there. <laughs> well, and one thing that I, I pride ourselves on, and, you know, it's one of the best compliments I, I think I've ever got from, like, our gym culture. I had a good friend of mine. Um, he visited and told his coworkers about it. He, he said, you know, this guy I work with is a – He's like a part-time minister or whatever, and said he's you know, homeschools his kid, wants to bring him in for a class. So he came in, we set him up, and then my friend called me that night afterwards and said, man, they loved it. They absolutely loved it. You know, they're homeschooled. He's very careful about, you know, what he exposes his children to. And uh, he said that he told my friend, he said, you know, when I walked into the building of Agogi, I felt like I was walking into a church. And to me, that's like the best compliment you can get. And, oh, yeah. and, and we try, I mean, you know, it, it's – at my age now, like winning is great, jujitsu is great, but you know we've really last few years started focusing on like character development and taking these young guys and trying to mold them into something and teach them the life lessons that we had to learn the hard way and hopefully they can skip it. And we do, you know, put a lot of time and attention into them. And everybody's important here. I mean, that's the another cool thing about the agogi agogi culture is that. Yeah, we've got, you know, one M, a pro MMA fighter that's in the UFC, a couple more that may be heading that way, one for sure. Uh, but we don't treat those guys any more important than we do the hobbyist that's a white belt that comes to a fundamental class. Like, they all get treated. No, equally. and I tell those guys, I'm like, look, I love you, but we don't make money on MMA. No. You know, and a lot of people do. A lot of places take percentage. We don't take a percentage because they're the ones getting in there taking head trauma, not me. And so it just uh, and it seems like if you got guys that can make it to the UFC and you can't use that to sell your business and and get more business, then what are you really doing? Right. So you know, and I MMA's have, a cost, but those guys are like our sales team. They, oh yeah. They build the culture and the fact that they're good guys, the fact that they work hard and and they do the right things. I think that oh, that yeah. sells the gym. Well, I think uh, I think one thing that makes it work so well is that we didn't we didn't start the gym with the intention of putting guys in the UFC. Oh, that was a complete after. Yeah, it was ten years of afterthought is not even the right. Well, we word. tried to fight it, man. I was against it. I, you know, coming from a lot of gyms that their primary focus was MMA, I was against it because I had not seen it successfully. You don't ever see the culture. You don't see the culture that we have that is in MMA gyms because, you know, every MMA gym I've ever trained at or been part of, I would never bring my my wife in there or my yeah. kids, and you know, it's just a. A rough environment. Good training, good guys to train hard, but it's not. I, w- I wanted to foster a different culture, and Matt did too. And so we were against MMA for a long time. Yeah. We fought it, and then we finally gave into it. But you know, we've set expectation high with those guys. I mean, we don't let thugs. We we all, you know, even including Larry and all the other jujitsu black belts, do a really good job. I think of screening out uh, potential problems, like when they come in off the street, and we're like, eh, probably not going to be a good fit. One of the coolest thing about a gogi man, what I've really always liked, and you know, we can talk ourselves up all we want, but the culture polices itself. I never feel like I feel like if you don't fit, you just don't fit. You're not going to like it, so you're going to want to go somewhere else. And if right. you fit, you're going to feel comfortable, and you're really going to like it, and you're going to kind of want to keep it that way. So, like, I don't feel like I put a lot of effort into policing, right? And I know you guys don't, but like. A lot of guys, you know, they're just going to make sure that everything runs the way a gogi should run, and you know, right. I love that because that that means everybody's working in one direction, which is huge. Right. Well, I go back to the movie "Remember the Titans," the football movie. If you guys remember that, but there was a line in that movie is one of my favorite quotes. It says, "You know, attitude reflects leadership," 
and I'm a big believer in that. So, you know, we, you know, not just patting ourselves on the back, but we set that standard early on of, yeah. like, this is what we want our gym culture to be like, and um, the guys have just fell in line with it, guys and girls, and it's it's been great, you know. When the crazy part is, you know, we made that decision, and we thought, Will we have a big gym? Probably not. But we're going to have a good gym. So let's just focus on having a good gym and have it run the way we want it and do right. the things that we want to do, and that'll be enough. Exactly. And then nobody gave the memo. Everybody just showed up. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been nuts. We've, you know, we talked about getting to East Ridge. And we yeah. Had, well, we had 30 or 40 when we got to East Ridge. Probably, yeah. And then we did my first online ads – I remember learning Facebook ads. We signed up 60 before we opened. Right. So we hit 100 before we opened. By, you know, a year in, I guess we're, we probably added 50 more. Right. But then COVID hit, and we were looking, at the time we were growing pretty well. We were, I think we had gotten close to 200, 180. And then COVID hit, and we lost probably down from 200 to 150. But during COVID, we shut everybody off, I think. Yeah, we did our part. Last thing I want to do is take money from somebody when I'm not giving service. So instead of like, hey, begging people, we just shut it down. Yeah. But half the members asked to have it turned back on, which was, yeah. To be honest, a lifesaver because you know everybody got paid the whole time during COVID. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't get any of the federal money. Right. We didn't get any of the. And, and we did our part initially. You know, we bought into the oh two weeks. Yeah, we shut down four weeks. Yeah. And then, it, you know, we were preemptive. And, and then we it were, was, you can open with masks on, and that yeah. works great with jiu-jitsu. Yeah, you know. <laughs> How long was, did we stay closed? I think we were a month closed. And then we then we opened up, and we tried to do, like, okay, wear a mask, come in the building. You know, like, if you're, obviously, if you're a kickboxer or stand-up guy, you can go do bag work on your own, keep that six-foot distance. That lasted two days. We tried <laughs> to have some jiu-jitsu, like, okay, we're going to show you some individual fundamental movements, and you can – We'll spread out and keep a mask on and do it. And then people were just like, screw this. Well, and, and then you had all kinds of stuff happening. I'm not going to get into the whole thing. But, like, if everybody's out, I don't care why you're in the street. But if you're in the street, I can train. And that was really how I looked at it. Right. And also didn't feel like I really was not in the mood to be uh, bankrupted. So, no. and you know, since business, I didn't want to go bankrupt and lose my house, we threw a landscaping cloth up on the windows. Right. We were in the middle of building this building. Right. And, it, of course, it's taking forever because it's COVID. And so we put the landscaping cloth. We had all those windows at the old place. We had the health department. For some reason, reason the health department there. was like the SS. They had the snitches out there. I mean, they would literally. And we had so much glass, too. Well, it was, yeah, it was three sides or two sides of the building was complete like, Park at glass. Food City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Walk over. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we literally had people calling in on us. Like East Ridge PD, they'd call. They would, they would call. Well, most of the East Department. Ridge guys. They would call us. Because they're calling to ask, like, are y'all open? Because we want to train. Right. So all the police, I'll, I'll say that during COVID, look, we wanted to make sure we were safe. We shut down before anybody shut down. And then we opened when we felt like we were safe. And I'll stand by that. But – all the, the folks that were training with us were police. Right. Uh, the, those guys didn't hardly Oh, miss. no. They would and, tell us, like, hey, somebody's calling in. You know, yeah, so the they'd give us some heads up. We got a little help. And then we were making the move to Catoosa because Georgia was a lot easier. Oh, yeah. And so I remember moving into this place. Um, would have been November 2021 or 2020? Uh, 2020, maybe? 121. 
Okay. 20 was COVID, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, it was, it was 21. 21 then. Yep. So we made it through that. Um, 2021, we mo- moved here, and we filled it up yeah. the first day. Well, well I was going to say, it's funny. Both places, I feel like that happened. Yeah. Uh, and East Ridge was the, the funniest one to me because we were all so nervous about this is a big place. This is expensive. 5,500 square feet. And we're like, holy crap. Yeah, how are we going to do this? And then two weeks into it, it was like, we need a bigger place. We're stepping <laughs> on each other. Yeah. And then the second, then and, when and we moved to Georgia, it was like that even faster. Times yeah. 10, man. Nothing changed us more. Like when we moved here, it was like, I think because it was not a, you know, not a strip mall, it right. felt different. One, it was great because we owned it. So, and it was twice the size 10,000 square feet, you know, built every, we, I laid out every stick at this place, yep. contracted it, knew where everything was at. And I remember moving in month one, first day going, this ain't it. This ain't our final destination. Too I was small. like, it, this ain't it. <laughs> I was like, I spent a year and a half of my life. This is full, but it just didn't feel right. Like, it was cool, but it, it wasn't like a it. temporary home for us. Yeah, it was definitely a temporary home. So, And getting back real quick, like – we, uh, you quantified it. What what percentage do you think we grew during COVID? At uh, the, at the, the, in 2021, we grew 73%. Okay. And so we added like 100 and then another 100, and now we're over four on the way to five. But, right. Uh, it, you know, and, and looking back during those COVID days, um, I think a lot of it, we, we were, you know, brave enough to stay open uh, and keep training, but people were yearning to get back to a sense of normalcy. And for their mental health aspect, like we, I mean, the gym, not us, but the gym saved a lot of people, I think, because there was people on the verge of cracking because of how it was in society. And then they could get to come in there and, and for an hour and a half or two hours, it was like old times, it was normal. They wrestled, mm-hmm. they did jujitsu, they, they did kickboxing. And I had so many people tell us, like, man, that was, that probably saved me. Like my mental health had deteriorated during COVID so much. And that was the one outlet that brought me back to a sense of normalcy. Yeah, it was just such a weird time. Of course, I was in the middle of a campaign, which don't ever do that, and I'll never do it again. Yeah. But, you know, so I never got to sit still, but. You almost made the mistake of winning that campaign. Man, I almost too. did. <laughs> Thankfully, yeah. COVID it was, COVID was the thing that uh, killed really, it. Yeah, if COVID hadn't happened and everybody hadn't mailed in their ballot before I ever really got in the race, yeah. I'd yeah. be stuck in that job. <laughs> it's funny, though. We talked about this, how God works, like our plans and his plans, you know, very rarely are the same. Yeah, I just got mad and you know, wanted a little bit of a fight and right. really didn't want a job. <laughs> so it worked out for the best. Yeah, it did. So 2021, you know, we're here. And then uh, a year and a week later, we moved next door. And so we – I remember Robert saying, we got to buy this building. And we just wanted the parking lot. We needed a place to park. And I saw the price of it, and I was like, absolutely not. Like <laughs> – Right. We just got moved over here. We're just now good. But, bro, when he pushed – you know, the only person that goes faster than me is Robert. So, he pushed the gas. He wanted it done. We got it done. I signed the note and about threw up. He right. just, it was another day for him. But um, as I soon remember, as we started – I remember that, when you told me about it, too. I just said, can we at least stay in this one for a few years? <laughs> I wanted to, but, man, when are you going to get a chance to buy? Yeah. No, no, no. Down? I meant, like – Oh, yeah. Jill's yeah, for sure. But 17,000 square feet right next door. Yeah. You couldn't right. pass it up. And it was already a gym. And it's, you know, it's 10 times the gym, I think, that this was. This is a much better gun range than it was gym, even though I loved it. Right. You know, 
Yeah, and it's uh, part of our compound now. I like that everything's like very close, so it's, it's the, convenient it's the for Adogi students. Campus. Yeah, as as we're beginning the podcast, Adogi Drive coming soon. Right, as, <laughs> as we were beginning the podcast, I looked out the door and I'm seeing you know jujitsu students of ours that are coming in an hour before class and they're getting their range time in. Yeah, and it's parked. Walk right over to the gym and then change jujitsu after they get through shooting. That's convenient, man. Well, and that's you know, look, we all know at the end of the day, the secret of this whole thing is we just do what we want and. Other people tend to like it. Like, I like really nice mats. Y'all know, you know, I I know uh, Mike's a Macaulay kid, so he probably didn't have this experience. But, you know, right. like, if you don't have nice shoes when you grow up, when you oh, get yeah. older, you want nice shoes. Oh, uh, and you're going to have a exactly. Like, you're like that with jackets. And shoes. So yeah. And shoes, right? So, like, you didn't have a cool jacket, you want a lot of jackets. Right. Well, it's like that with mats. We had such crappy mats for oh, so God. long. I want the best mats. You know, I don't we, care if they're stacked up to the ceiling. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, even think, I don't even think you realize. I don't know if I even told you this or not, but when we I first started training, we started training at City Club. The wrestling mats that we were using was the old mats that I, I used them when I was in middle school, and they were old then. Oh, we didn't so even get this into this is like mid eighties. So let's go through City Club, which now Elijah owns. Right. But we would get there at 4 o'clock, and we would have to take 30 minutes to mop the mat yeah, because nasty. there was either rats running across it or a condom on the floor oh, yeah. or who knows what else. And so that was a nasty place. So, you know, we're big on clean here. I think that's it's nice that we don't have to worry oh, yeah. about that, even though with hundreds of people, it, yeah, this is always going to have something. A, a, vaguely related, but um, one other thing speaking to our culture, uh, Trevor was – Trevor Peak. Mopping all the mats, every single mat. Oh, when I left the other night, it's Look, just like this I, I, is this is this is who we I are. Almost, this is the most well-known guy in our gym, and he's out there. Look, I, mats. I almost stopped on um, the upstairs little observation area and videotaped him doing that to post it because, you know, here's a kid that's you know already made waves in the UFC. He's got a UFC contract. June twenty fourth, we're going to Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Opponent will be announced probably in the next day or so. I'm not going to ruin it, but. Very good opponent. Very good opportunity. We're going to take a very big crowd down to Jacksonville. So nice. I think it's going to be a fun trip, but June 24th. That's and, awesome. And, you know, the guy, like you said. I walked by and I looked down and I thought, man, the mats look really good. And I could see one guy out there cleaning them. And then I realized it was Trevor. And I thought, you know, that's, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, and I, I almost videotaped it just to, to show people because that, that itself is a good lesson for young men to learn like servant leadership and you know just going out there and you know even though he he by all rights could you know walk around and be cocky and think he's above that but he's out there cleaning the mats and the reason he's doing it is because he lives at the gym and, and he in his mindset I know is like well these people are nice enough to let me live here and they're good to me and mm-hmm. this is part of earning my keep and you just don't yeah and it's obviously something we'd never ask but no, he, we'd never know. ask him to do it but, but he did it he took kid. the initiative and did it and on the flip side how many times I don't know. Sterling's mopped the mat more than me, mm-hmm. but I had I got to be right there in the top five. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, yep. a lot of places, you know, they're going to make the white belts mop the mats, but for yep. the most part, I look at it as you know, you're here to to get taught. As part yep. of my job is you know cleaning the mats, and that's true. Well, uh, I'm proud of him. That, He's good you know, our, our customer service. That's you know one thing I'm very proud of, and it's just it, and we're sincere about it. It's not just lip service. Like we truly try to get to know the people when they come in off the street we we take time to get to know them and their families and we show an interest in them and 
that goes a long way, man. And that, I think that's a lot of the secret to our success too. Um, one of it, well, I'll just say Billy Billy Davenport when he was going through some family stuff a while back, he he made the comment to me one time. This was when he was fairly new to us, too. He's one of our blue belts. Yeah, now he's a blue belt with us. But this was maybe in the first three months that he was training with us. Um, I think that was when his brother died. But he same told day, me mother and brother mom. died. Yeah. Mom well, and brother died the yeah, same that's what day. It was. Brutal. He told me later on, he said, um, man, I'll, I'll be a part of this place for the rest of my life. He said, my church didn't even reach out and care about me and try to help us as much as this gym did. It was terrible, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm new here. <laughs> yeah, his his mother died unexpectedly, and the you know the brother was at work. The brother gets off work and is trying to get to Billy, and dies in a car crash on his way. So mm-hmm. that poor guy, in one day, lost two family members. And, and you're right, we reached out. And I'm proud of things like that. To me, I, that makes me prouder than going to a tournament and t- coming home with a team trophy. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I want to take care of people. Yeah, I think you know it's cool when you look at churches when we were kids. They cooked. You know, if you got sick, somebody brought you food. If somebody died, they sent you flour. You know what? They kind of knew who you right. were, at least. You know, if you didn't have any food, they might bring you some, you know. But well, that's just not the way it is. When now, it's, now you're a revenue stream, too. Yeah, yeah well, it's very like, few churches do that anymore. I mean, I know there's some out there that do, but the most sure. most of them don't. And, you know, that's why, you know, you and I talk about it all the time, is being sincere. Like, people, I used to joke and say, well, kids and animals know. Yeah, they can read people, you know. If you're in doubt about a person, watch how a kid or an animal interacts with them because they got a, like this sixth sense read on people. But people can just tell if you sincerely care about them or if you're just here to make money off of them. And you know, you had to get on to me early on because I, I really I was giving jujitsu away for years. I never oh, charged, gosh, man. I wouldn't charge anybody. I felt bad even asking for money. To this day, look, I love Stacy. He can't. He doesn't do the computer, but he he could. He just. Right. Stacy's the best salesman that will never ask you for your money. He's going to make you want to do it, but you're not going to know how because he's never going to let you. <laughs> Larry's the second. Like, they're yeah, right. I, I said my two best salesmen in all of Agogi will not sign anybody. <laughs> so, I know. Because, like, look, y'all are real. You're authentic. It doesn't – and I think we all are, but, like, you two have been around longer, and you kind of got that whole sensei vibe, I think, more than the rest of us. And so – it's just real. Yeah. You don't see that on the street corner, and when you see it, you want to sign up, and that's that's what a gogi's always been about, you know. Of course, you know, there's a lot of it. Um, it, it it's funny because I, weekly I get people that come up, man, I love it, I want to sign up. I'm like, yeah, I'm not the dude to talk to. <laughs> I was like, you see the really uh, metrosexual-looking guy? But I, I had to bust Sterling's balls all the time. I love him. He's one of my favorite human beings. But I'm like, see the guy with the perfect gelled hair? That's the guy you talk to. Who's our business manager? But uh, and I know we mentioned him in episode one. I didn't nearly get to expound on it, but you know he is a tough guy, and I laugh because you know we talk talk about the nerdy assassins that we're seeing in jujitsu community now. These guys that literally, you probably see them when they're not on the mat, like in a comic book store. And you know I ran, I'd run into starting because we're all. That's another thing that that I think is neat. We all live in the same town. Yeah. And you know having four or five jujitsu black belts in a town with a population of like. 8,000 or something. It's got to have the highest per capita yeah. black belt rate of it does. in the country. It does. And, you know, I'll go to and Walmart. If you, and if you line up the guys from there, we did it a little bit, but I'm telling you, man, I've looked at it. And if you think about all these towns that are known, Cleveland, Saudi, all these areas, 
Bro, there's more high-level grapplers coming out of Lafette than all those put together. Oh, yeah. Well, our wrestling program was legendary. You had wrestling and the jiu-jitsu. Yeah. You taught jiu-jitsu for free for 20 years down there. Basically. Oh, I know. Yeah, I, I did. And, uh, you know, getting back to Sterling, like I'll run into him in Walmart, and he's like such a color-coordinated guy, like his shoes. and I mean, just pristine. They match his pants and his T-shirt. They, they have a, a theme, and they flow. And he's over there looking at, you know um, – music stuff or whatever, you know, and I thought, man, somebody would walk by, see that guy and think, you know, I'll beat his ass. And it's like, man, he would mop the floor with anybody in there. Yeah. You know, just a very unassuming looking guy. Um, but yeah, I love Sterling. I just like to bust his, <laughs> bust his balls. Some. We've got a lot of good guys. I mean, one guy that we've not talked a ton about, I mean, we've got guys that like Lulu, mm-hmm. Lulu's a stud. He is a stud. Uh, I think Garrett's going to be, you know, coming up to be an MMA coach. We've got a lot of guys coming up. I'm, I'm really proud of the next batch of, of instructors because everybody knows us, mm-hmm. right? I think, but a lot of times, you know, you got, you got Jazzy, you got Lou, you got. Uh, I tell Garrett, you, John Green, John Green, man, man. Like and John even Green's uh, going to be with Elijah Parker stepping up. Man, God, like, he's such a backbone here. I mean, he that guy is he is a gogi through and through. He he eats, sleeps, and breathes it. And then you cut got, him open, he bleeds it. I think Isaiah. Oh, yeah. his son, Isaiah, probably. I think he'll be in the UFC. He'll be a UFC champion, no doubt about it. That kid's got something special. Um, yeah, I would say, I mean, we have, we're fortunate in the fact that I, I think we've got a legit five or six guys that could make it. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, we've got Trevor and Finney right there. Isaiah's almost the most sure thing to me of any of them out of, out, outside of those top two because the kid just. And he's young. He's young. He's trained since he was 15. He's not going anywhere. You know, it's just uh, – It's in jiu-jitsu, and that's the – He reminds me of Carlos Condit, natural-born oh, yeah. killer. That kid, He's been a killer since he was – Well, <laughs> and two, like, from the perspective that I have, being 51 years old and being, you know, in this for basically 30 years, um, man, these kids now, they, they learn so exponentially faster than we than I did and than you did, both of y'all. Oh, yeah. uh, Man, and it's just like technology's grace and the stuff that took us months and years to figure out. Yeah, they're getting we'll it in teach weeks. it in three weeks. Yeah, and you know, people will be doing it effectively. Effectively, they're hitting <laughs> yeah. it. They're hitting yeah. it a lot. Why belts that I hadn't learned their name yet? Right, we'll be hitting series that took me years to figure out. They'll do it in a week, and yeah. you think, man, like it's cool. I love it. I it's mean, obviously it's, our quality teaching. That's obviously. <laughs> well, I will say this about, but it's just crazy about Americans and jujitsu. Like coming up when I did, and you, you had traditional Brazilian instructors. You had a language barrier working with. You had uh, honestly, they just a lot of them just weren't good teachers. You know, and like one thing I always found about learning from a Brazilian instructor too is they never teach anything in sequence. Oh, and that's what I was getting like at. never like a topic. Like, it's always like it's so random. Here's a sweep and here's a submission from the back and here's a takedown and it's not even so a good scattered. Takedown. Oh, it was and and that's what I, I know and it's not just us. Like I think jiu-jitsu the culture as a whole has evolved to where most good instructors teach this way now, but we do teach in series. And um and we also makes, teach our best stuff. like yeah, and it makes learning so much easier. We, like you look at the Brazilians when you were coming up at, at Alliance, they were doing something different than what they were teaching you. Mm-hmm. We're teaching you our best stuff every week. What we do, and yeah. so like when you beat it, because you can beat it once we teach it to you, and once we teach you how to beat it, we got to get better. Right. 
And I think, you know, through that whole leg lock transition, the whole revolution in jiu-jitsu that really left a lot of black belts behind. We didn't really get left behind, not that we changed a ton, but we were always giving our best. And so we were always having to come up with something else to beat those kids the next time. You know, you start showing these kids how to beat you every day. You know, a guy like Finney's going to figure it out pretty quick. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the reasons for that is, like, all of us sitting here and Sterling, uh, all, all of our guys, the foundation was built in fundamentals. So it's like we didn't we didn't base our game off of this flashy stuff that was going to kind of go out of style, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, everything we do is based on fundamentals. And so we may add some stuff in here and there, but, you know, nothing that – Nothing that we do fundamentally, like uh, our foundation, is ever going to really change. No. That's why a lot Larry striking style fits so well for our MMA. I don't think people really appreciate it. He focuses on body hardening, pushing forward, really making that you know a- that angles. punch count and angles. And so once we do that, what does it do? It sets up our takedown. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for grapplers it's the best striking style because oh. it just walks us into our table. And, and our grappling style. I mean, I, you know, not to sound cocky or, you know, bragging or anything, but, I mean, you know, our grappling style is really good for MMA because we focus on top, you know, top wrestling, good wrestling skills, good takedown, good top position, good pressure. And control. And control. control. And, you know, I'm, I'm very much a position over submission kind of guy. I'm not saying it's the best strategy because, you know, there's guys that are world-class that do just the opposite. But it works for me, and I think it works really well in the MMA world. Yeah, I think I think we've got a great game for MMA, I think, obviously. And, you know, we're seeing the success. It's kind of hard to argue for MMA that we don't have a, a pretty good recipe. I know we mentioned a lot of the other instructors, and I didn't want to leave uh, Grace and Dunn out. Yeah, the 5.30 a.m. crew. Yeah. Look, when you're pulling 20 at 5.30 a.m., you're doing something right. You're doing something all right. I, I've never seen that group. No, I, I, I end don't up know coaching them at tournaments, and we end up winning. It, you know? The last tournament we had in Chattanooga, I walked. I saw a bunch of guys with a Go-You t-shirts on. Did not know who they were. They're coming up to me, like introducing themselves, and they're like, "Oh, we're the we're Grayson Dunn's five thirty in the morning crew." And yep. I'm like, "Nice to meet you. I'll probably never train with you because I'm not training that early no. anymore." I feel bad sometimes because I'll some I'll introduce myself to somebody that's that's coming to my class. Oh yeah, guys, like, oh, your first first time in been training here six months <laughs> i know i did that yeah, but they come to the 30 class tournament. So. the last tournament we had i introduced myself and i said so you must be new and he said i've been here for 18 months i just come to the 5 30 class i said well that's why i don't know you yeah but grayson is you know he is what 25 now maybe 26 yeah maybe 26 okay he came to us at 16 years old yep. you know and he was in the old gym he came to us in lafette when we were beside fred's in the the very first standalone building we ever had and um grayson was the worst blue belt i've ever coached right I'm not going to say where he came it. from. Yeah. But, and I will say that I, more than anybody, now later on, you ended up coaching him a lot. Right. But his first few years, I built that kid's game from the ground up. Okay. There's not many guys that I can say that I did that on. I Now, he should have stayed with me and he'd be even better. But I'm scared. <laughs> well, no, he, uh, really, I mean, he would do a private with me every week. And I, I'm not a private guy. He's probably, I've probably done more privates with Grayson than I've done oh, yeah. all put together the well, rest of my time. I still, to this day, have a wrestling mat at my house. And yep. and up until about a year ago or so, Grayson would still come, and I'd make time on the weekends, and we'd go train in a you know hot garage somewhere. And I still miss 
that kind of training sometimes. I mean, we, we're blessed and we have a lot, but I know for years, I mean, Mike would come, you would come, we'd still on the weekends because we all live in the same yeah. town. We'd go to Sterling's house. He had a mats in his garage and we'd, you know, train out there at a hundred degree weather. And it, to me, it's just good training. Makes yeah. it tough. Well, and that, that brings up a one other point about the instructors at Agogi that I've always appreciated is, you know, you, you talk about some gyms, it's like, Oh yeah, the instructors don't roll or, Oh, they do roll with the students there. It's not just that we roll with students. We roll with each other. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. and I roll every time. Oh yeah, every class. There. And it's you know, I, yeah. I think that really shows how how committed we are to it. That we're, oh yeah, we don't have ego. It's like we're going to go in there and beat up a bunch of white belts. Like oh, we roll it, with each and, other. And even and, the drills in class, when I taught fundamentals, I would do the same warm up as the students. That I was the toughest part of getting bigger classes. Drills because yeah. used to we did every rep of every drill. Right. And then when you get sixty people in a class. You can't do that. It's hard to yeah. do it. Yeah, that's true. But I, I love that part of it. And I, I still love teaching, but I, I've definitely had to find other times to train. Like that that Monday class, man, when I get done with that class with 50 or 60 people, I'm ready for a break. Like it's hard to get my it's head. It's exhausting just to It's teach. so mentally draining. I never <laughs> yeah, yeah. thought like trying to focus on that many people. I love that class. It's my favorite class of the week, but I tend to try to roll on Tuesday at lunch mm. the next day because – I'm I'm talking or I'm yeah. you know running around. That's why I love the Friday night comp class so much too, is because it's just come in and grind. train hard. There's no grind, technique. Grind. I love We're it. just all going. And I, I still gravitate to that. I love. I, I just love some of my favorite classes. Every now and then, I'll be like, you know what, guys, we're just going to do uh, ten hard rounds tonight. Set hey, the that, was the, that was the Stacey Meek special for a long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> loved it. Uh, we want to do class. Let's just roll with that. Was, and, and that, that was us coming it. up. Oh, I'm not up. talking about yeah. – I'm not talking about even, like, this version of a guy. I'm talking about since the beginning. Oh, yeah. You know, just, we just like uh, rolling. We, yeah. we did that like Tuesday in my class. <laughs> I love it. When everybody – at the end of the day, we've always been addicted to jiu-jitsu just like – and Larry's addicted to striking. I mean, it's not that we love the business of it. We just love doing it. And right. the only way to – kind of hedge our bets and our money a little bit with start a business because we just like doing it so much. We got a – I think this is a good place to wrap this up. Okay. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we made the move. It's been a crazy ride. I think, you know, next episode, if we can, let's get Trevor in here and just kind of talk about what's going on. But love it. it's been cool to go over some of the early days of Agogi, and there's a ton more stories that, you know, we've talked on the side. Like, right, we could do this for days. Yeah. Um, but I think we'll just sprinkle the stories in and hit that later. There's a lot going on, and and the cool thing is, I think the rise just started. Oh yeah, I, for sure. I feel it. The if, momentum if, is, you can feel it. Yeah, it, yeah. I think to us, we think, man, it's been going a long way. We've come a long way, but the scary thing is, like, we really ain't got going. Uh, I was freaking out. I had called Matt on my way here, and uh, I was like, man, I go to this one coffee shop a couple times a week, you know, and get a cup of coffee before I train, and. I walked in, and they know what I drink, so I don't even have to tell them. And I had – they're all, like, talking and pointing at me, all the baristas and people come out from the kitchen, and this one kid comes up and like, hey, you just did a podcast. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap, how does this kid know I did a podcast, you know? Uh, didn't know the kid, and he knew about a gogi. So, I mean, that momentum that we're talking about it is real, guys. It, it, it's uh, scary sometimes. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and it's something, you know, you got to pay attention to because you can let it get in your head. It, yeah. Yeah, but for sure. I'm, we're thankful. And we, you know, at the end of the day, I know we all do this. I give God credit for everything. I mean, uh, it's this is definitely a God thing we got going on. It's bigger than yeah, Mark, we Matt, Stacy, Sterling, any of us. Uh, we just got to keep keep it focused. 
Yeah, just point, keep it pointing in the right direction, keep rolling. But yeah, we we didn't have much to do with this thing. It's no. it's doing it on its own. God's working. It's been cool, and uh, I think it's going to be pretty fun the next year. So right now, it's time for us to get on the mat. So we're going to yep. go teach class and get ready. But uh, we'll be on for episode three coming up next week. Thanks, guys. See you guys.